0: welcome to the bring your lunch pail sports podcast presented by luke's pizzas
1: so don't do that for a
0: thank you for the advice featuring lucas clark and nigel romaine
2: tell me more about these lizard overlords
0: now introducing your host tanner rutz
3: Alright boys, we are in for episode 10 of Bring Your Lunch Pale Sports Podcast. We uh, we left that bozo Nigel behind, he's off in Europe doing his thing, so we got our new Nigel, Mr. Shane Moore, what up dude? I'm excited
2: you uh, finally called me up to the big leagues, I have an incredibly average sized jockstrap to fill. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, I couldn't have said it better myself.
2: <laughs>
3: We also got uh, our new producer over here, or producer in
0: training, we'll say, uh, Michael Tote. Producer pending actual improvement to the podcast. <laughs> I was going to say. This is <laughs> what I would say.
1: <laughs> it's kind of a job shadow at this point. If, if he does a good job, we're staging him right now.
3: We currently have the Mariners game on, too. I just saw AJ Pollock get thrown out at home, so that was cool. <laughs> that basically sums up the Mariners season in a nutshell.
1: <laughs> I feel lucky that my back's to it right now. I yeah. did not see that.
3: We have... Currently, we had no outs... And runners in scoring position, and then he tried to run home off of a blooper, little blooper over to first base, and got gunned out because it was an easy play. So this is
1: good podcasting. Do, should we do play-by-play play of a game that was played uh, three days uh, before it actually comes out? I think that's a good idea.
3: Well, anything to get Rick Riz off the radio.
2: Okay, Mike. It'd be fun to go back and find which partainer was talking about for the audience, or not fun based off of the description he just gave.
3: All right, well, uh, Shane, uh, for the audience, let's uh, let's hear a little bit about yourself. Let's uh, let's dive into who Shane Moore is. Oh my
2: God! That, honestly, I was not expecting you to ask me that at all, <laughs> and I have literally nothing to say. I'm, uh, I'm just your every you know your everyday guy, right? I uh, I put my panties on one leg at a time. I you know I get up in the morning, and I go to work, and you know I'm just I'm just hoping to come in here and provide some good content while Nigel's away. Uh, you know, as a as a former all-city, you know, star center for Sulton Middle School, I uh, I know a thing or two about being an athlete, all right? And uh, I'm here to give my perspective on things.
3: Yeah, I love it. Uh, Luke, let's just dive into, let's catch the listeners up a little bit on what we've been having going on at home. Uh, you, Shane, and Tote went out golfing with Maddie, right? Yeah, that's correct. And, Foster uh, Golf Links. Yeah, let's hear about that.
1: Yeah, that was, uh, that was a good day. That was one of those... It was tough to get up in the mornings. I think we had a 6.50, 6.50 a.m. tea time. My favorite tea time. Yeah, but I'll skip to the end. So then you're done by about 11.30 and we're at Loretta's drinking beers by noon. So that's pretty good by our standards. But yeah, overall, it was a pretty good round. Uh, Michael Toad, I think that was his first, first real round since he's picked up the golf clubs
0: yeah it's always a good round when you haven't played one in about 10 years so you shoot 111 in it it feels pretty good
1: it was a little shaky front off the first tee box but uh you know i i have to tell myself this every time and i have issues with it that it's like nobody cares just don't be nervous mm-hmm. like just go play yeah. and i thought as soon as as soon as mike Tote settled into his game I, you outshot me on the back nine Fact. i mean it was <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: respectfully humbly facts <laughs>
0: uh the 64 on the front nine 47 on the back
2: you got your value on the day in the in the front nine on those strokes per uh, dollar paid
0: that's a really good point and my heel also got my money's worth by being shredded <laughs> really, open yeah and then uh the back time was vastly improved by me playing barefoot mm-hmm. you know
1: you know my favorite part of the first couple holes was is that since he's not here to defend himself, <laughs> I'll just go on Nigel for a second. Is that uh, you're a little you're a little shaky on the first hole and like you know had a couple bad shots, whatever. Got that got that off your chest. Second hole, it was like Nigel never left. You peered up your second shot straight into a tree. And then, <laughs> and then you peered up your next shot after that straight into a tree. It was like Nigel was playing <laughs> alongside of us. The ghost so, of Nigel was so. So it wasn't a good score hole for you, but you definitely struck the ball well on that hole. And that's what I, like, at least we're all at the point that in our golf games, it's like you just want to hit the ball well. Yeah, It's less results driven. It's more just like you want to know that you hit it well. If you hit it, if you blast it over the green... That is what it is. At least least you hit the ball well. You don't... Mm -hmm. You know, it feels better to do that than to skull one and have it dribble up onto the green and be like an ugly shot that's effective. Yep. Like, because those aren't going to last, right? Getting those nice peered shots, even if it doesn't go where you want. So... And then that showed on the the back nine for you, because then... It all kind of came together, and you're starting to get the ball up and down and mm-hmm. a couple pars, I think, on the on the back nine.
0: Yep. Two pars. Two pars. The thing that I, like, uh, the thing that I enjoy the most about golf, as you said, is, like, you know, if you peer it, you peer it. And I had a lot of a lot of chuckles, which were well-received by Shane, because a couple times <laughs> Shane had some, like, errant drives. Yes. But I could be wrong. They went about 300 yards in and- there. <laughs>
2: Maybe not that far, but no, it's like a good two forty. I'm like a, at least a three fifty per drive kind of guy. I know Bryce and It's uh, it's two hundred straight, then three hundred or uh, so to the right. So overall, it's probably like a five hundred yard drive once I get to the you know fairway that I'm actually in.
0: A bad drive for me is topping it and putting it in about seventy yards. Yeah. A bad drive for Shane is one that looks like it gets yeah. launched into the stratosphere, <laughs> not straight. And usually to the right, but it's yep. it's a hell of a sight to behold.
2: It's it's the small victories that you got to look for on the golf course when you're uh, when what I would call a pro amateur. Uh, I've been playing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> is that what you call that's yourself? What I,
2: that's what I have to call myself to make myself feel better. Uh, so you know, we're, we're, no one no one out here is going and play, playing uh, scratch golf, right? Uh, so you got to have something to hang your hat on. So when uh, when we you know as amateur golfers we go out there we we get our strokes in and you want to oh. at least see uh, and you, you want to see a uh, you want to see a pure shot uh i'd rather i'd rather see a pier shot into the woods you know 50 yards past the green than i would uh, a a chunky shot or a, a thin shot all day uh you know, it's just got to have something to hang your hat on and uh, i definitely was impressed especially on the back nine by your game mike you really came alive once you took the shoes off uh Not sure what that says about you, but I really enjoyed watching it for someone who hasn't played in a long time. It's got to be one with the earth. Yeah. Need to feel the the soil beneath his feet, and he was ripping them.
3: Well, I think the one thing we haven't mentioned either is that Toad's been getting
0: lessons, which none of us has really done that before. I would clarify also by getting lessons, that's two. Two lessons. (laughs) (laughs) So it does clear the bar for being plural, but uh, (laughs) it does help. It, It legitimately does help.
1: Although you told me it said most of your golf training, air quotes, has come via YouTube.
0: Yeah. uh, I don't know. Does this podcast plug other podcasts?
1: Yeah. It's about to, it sounds like. (laughs) Well,
0: my guy Rick Shields. Very, very good. Golf. yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he listens. Maybe if we tag
1: him. Hey, man! If there's
0: one thing I know about a guy that I think is from Bolton, I don't know where he's from in the UK. That's my best guess. Mm. They fucking love key swear on this podcast. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Cruising on. Anyway, people from Bolton, (laughs) they fucking love Seattle area sports. This is a good Christian show. Please don't do that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) My bad. Yeah, no spoilers.
1: We'll get to the Christian talk when we talk about uh, Netflix
2: quarterbacks. (laughs) (laughs) After the break. You like that? You like that? Played around at a uh, country club yesterday. At uh, Mill Creek Country Club. I'm not a member of anything my boss is, but... uh, uh, that, was pre- that was pretty fun. It's the first time playing at a country club. Uh, first drive of the day is... You didn't, you didn't play at Useless Bay? I did not play at Useless Bay. Oh, in high school? Oh, no, in yeah, high school. yeah, once upon a time. So you had played at a country club. Oh, is club. that what it was? That was I did club. not know
1: that. I was going to say, that's where Maddie hit that house like five times in a row. <laughs> oh, man, I remember that.
2: <laughs> oh, I didn't know that was the same place. Yeah, that was Useless Bay. Oh, man. Okay, so I have played there before. Uh, <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I'm saying you've played a Country Club before.
1: Ah, yes. Because Useless Bay. Useless Bay is in Southwood. Oh, I see what you're saying. I sorry. thought you were saying sorry. that you're branded. That, yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay, yeah, that yeah, got yeah. a little confusing. You said this the first time you played a Country Club, and I was like, no, no. Ah. You, you were there for the bloodbath <laughs> day at Useless Bay back in, I don't know, what was that, 2008?
2: <laughs> something, Yeah, <laughs> something <laughs> like that. But uh, anyways, continue. Yeah, no, it was, a, it was a good day. The The course is beautiful. Uh, the first hole is right next to uh, the driving range. It's like a kind of a big open down field. It's... It's really cool to hit off of. It's in front of the clubhouse, the food, everything. So everyone's watching, which is just what I need when I'm driving on the first tee. And, uh, you know, I go up there and I tell my boss, I said, hey, let me go first. Let let the kids shine in front of everybody. And, uh, you know, I pulled out the big dog, had to let it eat. And I, I, I pulled back and I ripped the shortest drive i think i've ever had 20 yards to the left right into the bushes but <laughs> the, the, the pro i the pro i am dude you, you that's that's the thing you have a, you have to have a short memory with golf so what do i do i fake a back injury i drop one out in the fairway i move on Okay, <laughs> that's a mulligan, uh, yeah. everyone knows that. That's uh, why you're a pro amateur. That's right. <laughs> they don't give that title to everybody, but I got it. <laughs> Basically, I went on to uh, play what I call a great day, 94 on the day. Uh, don't that's count that mulligan, probably 96. And uh, yeah, overall, beautiful course, uh, it was a good time. Uh, boss packed the cooler with, uh, with a 12 rack of uh, Coors Light, had two, a little too much for me but uh overall great day great day in the sun sweated it out and
0: uh yeah it was was an excellent round can i ask you a question about that first drive absolutely where do you think that power went if it went 20 yards to the right oh where did the power go into the ground (laughs) (laughs) that's usually how it goes that's
1: usually how it goes you just you you hit the ground six inches behind your ball just Uh, hit top it
2: yeah the ball the ball didn't get much of the power there but I can promise you that the earth was trembling after
0: that hit (laughs) great it helps the visual in my head (laughs) need a recap from the so-called experts it's time for a Monday morning meeting
3: All right, let's get into some uh, into some sports talk. I assume everyone here got to watch the home run derby and all star game that was hosted in our hometown here, out in Sea Town. And uh, I don't know what do you what do you guys think of it? How do you think uh, Seattle did overall?
2: As far as Julio just
3: just hosting the whole the whole event.
2: Oh, I so I, uh, if, if you don't mind, I'll go will go first. My first yeah, uh, my first uh, I guess observation here, which I think is a positive uh, on what the City can do, but uh, hasn't done a good job of. Is they really pretended like the uh, city was much cleaner than it is, and uh, which is which is great for when I'm working downtown, uh, but not so great for a uh, you know year-round look when uh, everything looks like garbage. Shane, for... Shane getting political. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. Okay,
1: all right. I forgot. That Lit- Man- Monroe was coming up. Litt- yeah, literally, literally garbage.
3: Now we don't know this, but <laughs> what I heard. Is that those big old cinder blocks, they put out to block the RVs so they couldn't park there. The uh, city claimed, they're like, well, I don't know how those got there. I have no I, idea what happened.
1: I did hear that. I mean, I could respect the level of... It's uh, a quote, uh, George Costanza. Is that, uh, I got to plead ignorance here. <laughs> I didn't, I, I, was that wrong? I didn't know. I don't know how those got there. So that was a pretty interesting uh, play by the city. I'll give them credit for that. Is that I think any t- I try to use... Uh, ignorance to anything as much as I can it usually doesn't fly I don't know that it flew in this situation either but you know get on I'm trying but I'll bring it back to the home run derby <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll uh dance around that that bit of the topic and I'll go right to the home run derby is that uh I thought it was really cool that Julio did what he did and he had the 41 home runs I just again it was it was I don't fault the guy for it but a little bit of a bummer as it seemed like two years in a row he just ran out
3: of, he just ran out of juice absolutely yeah what what is the uh,
2: so what is the reasoning you think behind uh having him go first and then uh and then also having him you know he went he went last you know in the round right he got his 41 and it seemed like by the time his 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 number came up again for the second round he was the first he was the first to go again so the, the rest between the two seemed like the shorter out of everybody right well What's he was the,
3: a seven seed right it's how he was placed in the bracket
2: I, it feels like there could be a better way of doing it so that everybody gets like an equal amount of rest well I would well I'm gonna
1: push back on that slightly is that I mean he he did in the sense that he was the seven seed going against the two so he goes first mm-hmm. right and the other side of the bracket which was Randy a Rosa and whoever else he went against. I already forgot. But but they went that side of the bracket, then his side of the bracket, and then they went back to the first side. But then he had to go first again because mm-hmm. he's the seventh seed facing the sixth seed. Yeah. Which it is kind of unfortunate in, for him is that realistically is that – and we can parlay this into how Julio's season's been going – the seeds that they got is based on how many home runs they'd hit, Mm -hmm. I think up to June 30th. Mm -hmm. And him and Vlad Guerrero had hit the same number. Mm -hmm. And so the tiebreaker is who would hit more between basically July 1st and the All-Star game. Mm -hmm. And Julio basically hasn't had one. And so Vlad was the sixth seed at 13 home runs as of June 30th. And Julio was the seventh seed with 13 home runs as of June 30th. And then, yeah, it kind of fucked him in the end because then he had to go first again, and he just kind of ran out of juice because he couldn't get a better seed because the guy has been able to hit a home run, basically, since the middle of June.
3: Well, he's too busy hitting in double plays to be hitting home (laughs) runs. He's doing what he does best right now. Or strikeout. I mean, what's the strategy there, though? Because, like, he definitely was out of gas at that point. Like, once you get up to about, like, 30-something, do you pretty much call it a wrap, or do you just keep going hard?
1: Well, I think that's why, actually, like... Uh, broader point on the whole home run derby is that, like, I thought it's it's a really cool format. Mm-hmm. And it's easily one of the best skills challenges that they have in all professional sports. I think the three-point challenge in the NBA is honestly the second best. It's I think it's past the dunk competition, but that's a whole different conversation. But you, like, you, you need that better seed because then if he was the top seed, he could go see Pete Alonso go hit... 28 and then he's done you hit 29 home runs and you're done you don't have to push for 41 but like you kind of have to hit as many as you can when you go first because you you don't expect anyone to hit 42 but you got to push it as far as you can to make sure that you don't get caught yeah Yeah. so i mean it's just like any bracket like yeah you get rewarded for being the higher seed so you know he kind of fucked himself by not really hitting that many home runs, and he's kind of fucked the Mariners in that regard. But I'm not the harshest on Julio. I, I, I still believe in Julio, but we can get into more Mariners-specific talk here in a second. But as far as the home run derby goes, yeah, if he gets a couple more home runs in the regular season, he probably gets a better seed. And maybe he wins that because he can stop at 29 home runs, go into the next round, stop at 25 or 26 home runs when he sees what the other guy does and just kind of run that through the whole time. But instead, he hit 41. That was really cool.
3: It was a, a first-round record for the most home runs in I the think first...
1: A, I think it's a record for any round. Yeah. For any round, yeah. Yeah, in, yeah. Yeah. in the history. At yeah. least in this format.
2: Yep.
3: That's what I was saying, though. It's like, when you get like, in your 30s, like you can pretty much guess that no one else is going to stop you. But I guess momentum... Or you got the momentum going. You had adrenaline going. Like, you're not thinking about that. You just want to keep going and going. Because, I mean, he was just hammering them off.
2: Yeah. Overall, I think... Uh... I think the city, the city, and uh, T-Mobile Park did a good job hosting it. Um, it's good. Uh, the presentation was really good, and it seemed like it, you know everybody enjoyed it in the crowd. And uh, overall, I think it's just really, really positive for Seattle in general as far as sports go.
3: Yeah, I did hear that the viewership, and I mean this is just a MLB thing in general, but the viewership was one of the lowest that they've had for the All Star Game, mm-hmm. at least the last few years. But Locally, the viewership was, I mean this is obvious, but it was uh, beyond any other major city. So it's good to see the, the hometown uh, support, but unfortunately, like we've talked about this before with MLB, it's like to watch a baseball game or even get like get into it, it. It's becoming more and more difficult. Like baseball's wondering why they're having such a hard time getting new viewership or getting people to stick along for the ride, and yet they make it so difficult to even try to watch a game on your local cable.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to piggyback off that point and talk about something else. Fuck root sports. <laughs> is that? Is that a, I saw a lot of conjecture around the All-Star Game jerseys, and per that point, is that when are they just going to bring it back where they just wear their their team uniforms? Yeah. yeah. The game has become so regionalized, yep. and, like, you say fuck rude sports, but, like, I I know Tanner has talked about this before, at least with his grandma out in DC, is it like it's a gift and a curse. We're lucky that like we have a channel that plays every single game. But like, yeah, they kind of box you out and black you out if you're like not in the region, which makes it tough that it's like if we live somewhere other than Seattle, it's hard to watch the Mariners. They make it tough. Yeah. But that's all the more reason is why I don't understand that they wear these all-star game jerseys. And I didn't think that the look of them was that bad.
3: No, they were pretty fire.
1: Yeah, I thought they were fine, but it's like, who are these people? Yeah. I don't know, like, because it's so regional that it's like, and I follow the game pretty well, but it's like, I've heard this name. I don't know who he plays for, and he's wearing the same jersey as his teammates, so it's like, no, oh, he plays for the Orioles? Let him wear his Orioles jersey.
3: Yeah. Like, And I could be wrong. I think at one point they did the jerseys at the same, but they still had the different hats. Like they had their team hat on, and they don't even do that anymore. They have like all, it's all uniformed. Yeah. And you're right. It makes it difficult, especially if, you know, a first year All Star, you're like, oh, who's this guy? And you're like, it's hard to pick out until you have like the little name bar on the side to show who's up to the plate.
2: Yeah. I don't know if they still do this, but I know for a long time, uh, you might, you might know off the top of your head, the NBA did that where everybody was wearing their own individual team jerseys. I, I mean, and, it just allows you to see the players who they play for all that kind of all that kind of stuff repping their own team and I, I, it works for the nba i don't know why they wouldn't do it for the mlb well the
1: nba does does team jerseys now to oh, like so got all star
2: it. it's cuz they
1: want to sell more jerseys yeah. which is I think so. that's ultimately what it comes sell, down to yeah it. they want to sell more merchandise so they do it but i don't know i think it's stupid and i don't think it helps any of these all star games you want to see guys yeah I'm surprised they don't make them wear the City Connect jerseys. Yep. Yeah. Like, if they want to sell more jerseys, like, why don't you make them just wear their City Connect jerseys in the All-Star game and try to pump those out? But, I don't know. MLB can call me when they're ready for so, <laughs> some, some, good, some good merch, <laughs> some good merch uh, ideas. But...
3: Yeah, the last thing I'd say, too, is, like, even if you subscribe to the MLB app, which I have, and, like, I have it free through T-Mobile, but if like, you pay for that, I still can't watch the Mariners on the MLB app if I'm watching it on like in this area. I can only watch it if I'm like on the road in some complete, even if I'm in California, like this whole general West coast area, I cannot use it unless I leave this region and go like somewhere in the Midwest or over the East coast. And it's like, come on, like why are we making this so difficult to watch? Especially when you're paying for a subscription to watch teams. And it's not like, I'm not looking to watch the Reds play yeah. on this app. Like, I'm obviously I'm here from my home team, and it makes it convenient sometimes to be able to watch it on an iPad or computer.
1: Well, again, like we could go down the rabbit hole there, but like that's how Root Sports and all of these. Oh, well, I know that's yeah. how it's working. Regional but- people is that that's how they write the contracts. Is that you need to be blacked out if you're in our region because we need you to pay for Root Sports. I get
3: the reasoning, yeah. but it's just like it's a garbage. it's, frust-
1: yeah, it's frustrating as a fan that it's like I.
3: I'm pretty sure too, like in this area, like if you, I think like with Dish, like we just said at an Airbnb over in Oak Harbor that had Dish and the Mariners game was on and I was trying to turn it on and I couldn't find it on there. So I'm pretty sure like even like certain like, you know, providers, if you try to watch a Mariners game on there, you can't do it unless it's like Comcast or maybe a few select others, like maybe Peacock or something. But I don't know, man. MLB's gotta got write our Congress person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> write your Congress. I mean, my gra- you mentioned my grandma. She's about right there, man. She's so pissed off every day. She can't get over it because she lives out in Virginia, and her team's the Nationals. And she's the type of lady that's watching 162 games. She's watching probably like 120 of those. Like it's every night thing for her, and she can't watch them anymore because of the same thing like Root Sports has, and her provider doesn't have whatever their TV network is. And she can't watch any MLB. She can't pick up the Braves, the Nationals, any East Coast teams. It's just MLB is blocked out. Just completely blacked out. Yeah, so yeah. she got her baseball fixed during, like, like college – or uh, women's uh, college softball and, like, the men's uh, uh, college baseball, and that was it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. You're, you're you're losing people each day when you continue to do this type of garbage. <laughs>
0: Grab your tools and hard hats. Time to head over to the local chapter chat.
3: So going into the season, you know, going from the offseason into spring training with the expectations where they were at, would you expect it that the Mariners would only have three All-Stars going into this All-Star game?
1: I think, I think that's right around the number... You obviously hope for more, right? I mean, I think I said this on the last podcast that it was looking like you weren't going to get more than one, right? Because every team's allotted one, and I said Kirby. Yeah. And then I wasn't shocked that uh, Luis Castillo got it instead of Kirby because because the name because he's a name, right? And he's got he's got some staying power in the league, and Kirby's still new. But I feel like they atoned for that wrong. By getting Kirby in eventually. And then obviously Julio got in. You probably would have thought on paper to start the year. It's like Julio should be a lock. And then you hope guys like Teoscar Hernandez maybe find his way in there. Uh, I think if Munoz is healthy. You know, so like three, I probably would have said you would hope for four or five. Because yeah. you feel like one of your pitchers has to get in. One of your starter starting pitchers has to get in. Julio has to get in a relief pitcher should get in, and then somebody else. But I don't think that number was too far off. But when it was only one, I thought like that kind of points to how the season has been going for them is that they just haven't performed.
3: Yeah. And, I mean, that goes into many players that they're just not fitting their baseball card. I mean, yeah, Ty France, that you would expect a lot more production out of this year. We signed Colton which You were already a naysayer to Colton Wong, so you kind of called that one. But I don't think you were expecting – this low of numbers from him
1: i wasn't but i kind of said the same thing with uh uh adam frazier right that it's like you got a guy who's coming over who's only played in the national league before yeah that's kind of a it's kind of a proven trend a lot of times when guys switch leagues like there's a drop-off and considering his numbers had already kind of like trended down
3: so yeah And I mean, another one too is Teoscar Hernandez. I mean, I think that he's probably on the trade block and we can go into that later. But that's another one of those guys that I kind of expected to be a lot more production going into this year, obviously. And I think that that's one of those guys that I would have expected in the beginning of the season, if you would have asked me, I would have projected him to possibly be in the all-star game. But what about Jared Kelnick? Were you ever thinking that he could possibly make it into the all-star game? If you're talking about beginning of the season, expectations...
1: You already know the answer to
2: that. (laughs) (laughs) And the answer is hell no. All
3: right, let's ask Shane that same question. What did you think about Jared Kelnick coming into the season?
2: Uh, Shout out Nigel uh, for saying that he was going to be the all-star that we knew he would be. Uh, I mean, uh, probably just like anybody else not named Nigel, you just expected more of the same, right? Uh, A guy with talent who has not really lived up to his potential. And he's far and away exceeded it. Right at, at one point, at one point, and maybe possibly still one of the better or best players on the team as far as batters go. Uh, and uh, it's I was kind of hoping that he would be an all-star just because of his like you know blossom this year. I think that would have been a really good step forward for uh, for him. But um, the the recent stuff with the you know hurting himself, uh, and people call it passion, and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. There, I, I think there's like a certain line between like passion and just being stupid, right? Uh, people uh, will, you know, say Tom Brady's passionate. When he's yelling on the sidelines, this and that. But he's never gone out of the way and hurt himself. Uh, and when you do that, right, you're being passionate on the sidelines. And yeah, you can tell he's sadness and that. But now he's gone and hurt himself. So now he's just hurt the team. So um, I don't know. He, uh, it feels like Kelnick has come such a long way right as a player he's playing really well this year uh but he has such a long way to go as like he's playing well by his standards yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> i would say well, he's playing well yeah relative to his previous years Great. and actually in yes. compare and comparatively to what half the half the batters on the team yeah that's, that's fair. yeah and, and but you go and you take that momentum and then you turn it into you know upset anger on the sideline hurt yourself and it, now you just look silly um
1: yeah, if I can piggyback off that, is that, yeah, I was I was definitely a, a Kelnick hater at the start of the season, and that kind of continued a little bit. Like, I obviously still want to root for the guy. Like, it's not like I want to see him fail, like he's a part of the Mariners, but kind of said in previous episodes that it's like, I think the best scenario for him is to come out and have a nice start to the season, which he definitely did, carry some momentum into the trade deadline. And then trade his ass when he has, because I still think, and I'll touch on his injury in just a second here, but I still think in my heart of hearts, Kelnick, I think has the potential to be a really, really good player. It's just not for the Mariners. Hmm. Some guys just need a change of scenery. Like Chris Taylor is the perfect example for the Mariners. That like, he was okay, like had some ups and downs for the Mariners, but never really and he wasn't even some, like, huge ceiling guy like Kelnick was made out to be. But people still expected a lot more out of him. And he went to the Dodgers, and he's, like, literally said this in interviews. that He's like, once I got there, when those guys talked to me, it clicked. And, like, I figured out something in my game that made me better. And I feel like Kelnick falls in that same camp. That's not his fault. It's not the Mariners' fault. Like, different different strokes for different folks. Like, And so... This is where I have a little bit of frustration with Kelnick in him kicking a water cooler and getting injured is that based off of the way that the Mariners are going right now it's kind of look like looking like they're going to be sellers and he would be a prime person that even with his more recent struggles that like I still think a team would still look through that lens and be like we've seen Some progress here because he is a better player this year than he ever has been and so we will take him in a trade with maybe a Emerson Hancock I don't want to trade Bryce Miller or Logan Gilbert or Kirby but you know or or Brian Wu like we'll take Wu and Kelnick for a big name player like Paul Goldschmidt Mm -hmm. maybe maybe and we think that if he gets in our system we can get the most out of him and he kinda of just pissed that away by injuring himself, not even playing baseball.
2: I, I, I kinda of have a question for both of you guys, just like in your opinion. So I was thinking about this as you know you're talking about it and you know as we kinda of go out throughout the night. But um, as far as players coming here who have you know, they have good potential, obviously people expect them to be good players, whether it's traded here, they came here at free agency or they brought are brought up through the system, maybe like Kelmick and haven't quite reached what their potential is what do you do you think it is something about the Mariners organization specifically that isn't like helping foster the the talent or the people coming in to help them be you know the best that they can be
1: yeah I think it's very specific to the Mariners and I think this could be a topic that we could really jump into is because it seems very clear to me that the Mariners as an organization for like they know how to do pitching. Mm -hmm. They pick up fucking bozos off of the waiver wire, (laughs) and and then they're awesome. And so it's like, they have this eye for talent and coaching ability for pitchers that they can grab any fucking guy off the streets and make them look like they're a great pitcher. And maybe there's something to be said that it's just uh, T-Mobile Park, Marine Lair, whatever. It's definitely a pitcher's park and not a hitter's park. But I still think that can only take you so far. Mm. But it's like, they know how to scout talent for pitchers and develop it, and they have no idea what they're doing with bats. And they've proven that now through two different regimes, that like Julio's about the Julio and Kyle Seeger are about the only two bats that they can say that they've brought like even Kelnick we traded for. Mm. But he was still super young, so I'd still probably call him our prospect because he was drafted at 18, 19 years old. Played one year in the minors and then we got him, so I'd hardly call him a professional. By the time we got him, yeah. but regardless, is it like those are about the only two bats that they've really brought up that have even shown any production? Yeah. So there's clearly this like dichotomy in their scouting and coaching that it's like pitchers, like we have that on we have that on lock, <laughs> we have pitchers on lock. Batters, we have no idea what the fuck we're doing. I don't know what the answer is. I don't have a solution to that, but something's got to change at some point that just seems like Seattle's a place that bats come to die.
3: Yeah. And I think that's why we're having such a hard time with free agents and stuff, too. When they, like, you know, you want to talk about like Chris Bryant as an example. It seemed like the Seattle Mariners might have been like a front runner for someone like him, but like all these guys that they see Seattle, are like, I'm not going there because like it, it seems like that's a place career. to die. Like that's where my career dies. And like you're seeing it now. Again, not to say that A.J. Pollock was going to be some great, productive hitter for the Mariners, but he was a lot better than what he's showing now.
1: He's not even sniffing the back of his baseball card.
3: <laughs> no, and I mean, Teoscar Hernandez is a big one too. It's like, I just don't He's, under- been, he's been okay, though. He's heating up now, and he, he has been notoriously slow in the beginning of the seasons, but it's like, I don't know, man. You just constantly see these type of things, and even before DePoto, if you want to go back that far, which I don't know if you can really, you know, compare the two, but I mean, like, Sean Figgins, like, that was one that was, like, high expectations. Like, that was a big signing for the Mariners. Trash. You know, Adrian Beltre, you know, that was another one. Trash. Left.
1: Well, nice player. Much better in every uniform other than uh, so I was
3: going to say. Not great with the Mariners. Went to the Rangers. Back to being a very good baseball player. Yeah. So, there's something to be said about Seattle. And, like, I'm with Luke. Like, I don't know what that it factor is of what causes that. But it, there's something that's going on with the Mariners where they can get solid pitching, yep. but as far as hitting, it just seems like a place for your career to die. And you can't, you can't keep blaming the Marine layer at the end of the day because other teams come out here and they put up home runs. I mean, who was it? I forget what team it was that, like, they were last in the league in home runs. And they came out to T-Mobile Park and they hit, like, four or five in that game. That was a little bit earlier in the season. But, like, we want to keep blaming certain factors to it.
0: But, like, other teams come out here and produce – yeah it 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 has to be internal yeah i would just say as somebody that was mostly outside of baseball to try to get into baseball through the mariners the mariners are great at teaching what like a great starting pitcher and a great bullpen looks like i still feel a little confused about what a good hitter looks like (laughs) and that's as somebody who is trying to learn more about baseball through the mariners right like i love still watching their games there's a lot of great shit to see but most of that comes through pitching and I don't see it a lot through offense.
2: It's, it's slightly unsettling to think that, uh, like when you think about some of the people that maybe the Mariners have targeted, that they haven't been able to land. I mean, the players I'm sure doing some of the scouting themselves, looking at the players that have come here and just wondering like what, what the fuck is going out there in Seattle that these good players are going there and all of a sudden they can't hit anymore. And then they leave and they can hit again. Um, so it's just something to think about. I mean, I don't have any answers to it. I, it. You guys follow baseball much closer than I do, so if you don't know what's going on, I don't. I
1: mean, part of me feels like that. It it feels like there's just some sort of Mariners curse. Because before Scott Service, it was Lloyd McClendon. Yeah. Who was the hitting coach? Who was the it was the hitting <laughs> coach at like for Detroit, like with Miguel Cabrera, and like when they were one of the best teams. And he came over, and I always liked Lloyd McClendon. Yeah, he didn't really have that good of a run with the Mariners, but he at least thought that he was gonna make them a good hitting team, and they were definitely a better hitting team under him than they were here. They almost went slightly flip flop. I feel like for a lot of those years, is that they became a better hitting team, not as good of a pitching team, but they still weren't that good of a hitting mm-hmm. team. It's like I, the Mariners almost feel like they're cursed. That like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you solve that, but.
3: Well, is that a Mariners thing then, too? Like, as far as, like, the metrics and numbers, everything that the Mariners are, like, running through today, as far as, like, trying to... I don't want to call it Moneyball, but, like, that type of style is maybe some of that old-school baseball is what you're missing. Like, a Lloyd McClendon, I mean, that's why he left immediately is because Jerry DePoto and him were never going to mesh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, is that something that's missing? It's just like, hey, let's just get a big bat. Let's just get a dog.
1: I, I do think that there is something to be said that, like, I'm not... I'm not big on the like beating the drum necessarily that it's like the Mariners are horrible cuz they don't spend nearly enough money. They need to spend more money, obviously, like that's not some hot take at all, but like I think I think the Mariners definitely find themselves being a lot more conservative in their like money spending that it's like for example, we we're never going to get him it seems like, but like Trevor Simeon yeah. And there's plenty of examples this year too Where it's like Go out and spend the money And then it's like Trevor Simeon signs with the Rangers He had a really bad year last year He did not match his baseball card And then I feel like I'm sure a lot of people I'm not in the front office So I don't know what they're saying But I think there's a lot of people who are kind of like Dodge the bullet on that one Don't want to spend $250 million on that guy He's cut, like, He's still not Tearing the cover off the ball But he's definitely doing well Yeah. Same with Corey Seager, another guy that went to the Rangers. Like he kind of picked up injuries last year, but it's like a lot of times in baseball, and this is where I'll rope it in with Julio is that it's a good, it's a good contract, and you need to pay these guys. Julio's having a bad year. He's he's hitting two fifty. Yeah. You you stomach these bad years and you pay these big contracts because their bad years are two fifty. Their good years are three hundred and forty five homers. Yeah. And the Mariners seem like they're always trying to like crunch the numbers and sometimes just like you gotta spend money on the guys that like if they bought them out, they're two fifty hitters. That's still one of your best hitters in the lineup yeah. today. Yeah. For, for this Mariners probably, team today and, and if they have a good year, then your team gets elevated to the point that you're winning the division and you're you already have the pitching to be a World Series contender.
3: Yeah. Another name I would say real quick too, to go along with that, as far as someone that I feel like we missed out on was Trevor Story. There's yeah, another guy I mean, that could have filled in that second base spot that he's
1: not doing well.
3: But you know there's you, something more to it.
1: You bet on his baseball card that like yeah. he'll you don't try to year. crunch
3: in Colton Wong hoping that you get the, the production you need yeah. after trading out an Adam Frazier. So
1: you're just trying to squeeze every gram out of that toothpaste toothpaste <laughs> to with Colton Wong and hope that you get the best out of it is like no, you need a
2: you need a guy that like on his worst year
1: is still a serviceable
2: hitter it, it felt like a missed opportunity for the Mariners coming off of you know ending the drought right you have a lot of hype around your team that's the time to sign some of these guys to the good contracts cuz they want to come here it's an exciting team you know i'm not going to say like an emerging market or whatever but people were excited to watch the Mariners last year cuz they're an exciting team now all of a sudden you find yourself at Still forty-eight and forty-eight as of right now, uh, but you find yourself kind of a middling team here. Looking from the outside, looking in, uh, and if they don't improve by the end of the year, do these people want to come here? Uh, you know, without a large enough contract, whereas you may have been able to get somebody over here maybe for a little less. Obviously, people know their worth, right? And they want to get paid. But you're more likely to go to a team that you think you're going to win on than a team that's maybe middle of the road that you have to help rebuild into a contender.
3: Yeah. Well, I think any competitive athlete, they would want to, like, if you have someone that's starting to stew here in Seattle, they're going to want to come to Seattle to be a part of that team that brings home a championship to a city that's notoriously known to, like, once you're winning, the crowd's going to come, and you're going to have the fan base, and you're going to have the glory of everything. Yep. And I would say that they missed the prime opportunity last year Because they showed a taste of playoff baseball in Seattle And what that can do yeah. And the energy it can bring And then now they're just pulling out another 500 team That, like, truly, like, this series right here Like, I'm not trying to, you know, go a little, you know, too ahead of myself But, like, this is a big series here Because you have the trade, the trade deadline coming up You lose this series after what you've done to perform In these last couple games Like, after the All-Star break Like, if you don't do something here, like, you're sellers at the end of the trade deadline. Yeah. And, like, you're just hoping for the best next year. And some of this talent you brought in, like, Teoscar Hernandez, maybe a Ty France, you know, maybe Suarez. Like, those guys might be out the door now.
1: Yeah. I've kind of said this before. My only slight uh, devil's advocate on all of that, and I've mentioned this prior, is that I do think, though... There's a lot to be said for free agents that come to Seattle. You need to pay a lot more because all you have to do is look at a baseball team map. The Mariners are so far away from all of the people that they play against. Mm -hmm. And, like, honestly, like, that adds up. Like, if you're going to get paid and play this game, like, I still think there's, like, a level of comfort in your life that it's, like, it's hard to play for the Mariners. You have to travel way more, and that's why honestly, it's like that's why it kind of sucks. Is that a lot of times it's like Mariners, it's like go out and sign free agents, and it's like uh, we just we can't because they don't want to come here unless we pay them way more. So you have to trade for them. You you have to buy their labor, <laughs> like, and then that means that you have to give away good prospects for it. And like honestly, that's how it always seems like that's. That's the way it goes, which hurts the Mariners because you don't want to have to trade away good players to force people to come play for your team. But
3: Are you willing to be a buyer right now, or are you more looking just to get some prospects, get some potential talent down the road? Are you willing to do a semi-rebuild, or do you want to actually try to patch things together and try to make a playoff run? Uh.
2: Well, I... That's a good question. So I guess it depends on uh, what you're giving up, right? Versus do you think you can keep them? And I, I think that's the the way that a lot of good, uh, like a lot of uh, trades recently have gone. Or let's just think about, uh, oh, my God, I'm blanking on his name, pitcher that just came here last year. Castillo. Robert, Castillo. Right? Castillo, oh, Castillo, thank you. Yeah, oh. thank you, Luis Castillo. Um, so he came over in a trade, right? I got to imagine uh, when we had talked about it last, uh we don't bring him in unless he says, yes, I will sign the following year, right? And that's kind of what you – I mean, are you willing – do you think, Tanner, that it's a good idea to give up prospects for uh, maybe a half-year or one-year rental if you don't think the Mariners are going to go anywhere, like, within the next year or so? There's only a couple guys I would say are worth bringing in, but it – What they scored?
0: That's just a walk-off. Hey, there we go. All right. There we
2: go, boys. As As I was saying – Get everybody at the trade deadline. Mayors are making a run. And uh, <laughs> Tanner just walked that off. Yeah. Right on. Um, and Tanner didn't believe in him. I I I, I <laughs> uh, so I, I guess short term, I don't know. If you're if, if they make like a good run and there's like a real chance they could make you know, they seem to be improving and they could make the playoffs again, maybe. I, I, I'm not really good to say on that because I really don't know where the manor season is going to go from here because they've been so hot and so cold um, I know who I w- I know who I want to talk about that they should try to bring here at basically any cost if you want to go into that but if you want to say something first go ahead
1: well let's save Otani. let's save yeah. Otani for who's the Otani en- for the- yeah for the end of this conversation so Sh- I think I think the the question is more so centered around still for us and for the Mariners, are they going to be buyers or sellers? Mm -hmm. And so there's obviously still time in these next week and couple days, 10 days basically, to determine what they're going to be. But in my mind, in any case, even if they lost, well, I guess if they lost every game after tonight's game against the Blue Jays, then yeah, you're probably sellers cuz like yeah. I'm still very much in the camp and I think to some degree that Tanner would agree is that what the Mariners have going especially with their pitching prospects that's what everybody's going to want in a trade. If yeah. you want to go if you want to go be buyers, they're going to want our pitching prospects. I wouldn't get rid of them. For as bad as the Mariners have been this year, if they can find their way into the playoffs, I still think that they're a team that can go win the World Series because of their pitching. Yeah. So don't be don't be seller or don't be buyer or sorry. Don't be buyers in the way that you're going to get rid of these types of pieces that will make you contenders for not just this year, but for the next 5 years. Like these guys I think honestly make the Mariners a dangerous team for a long time. Having said that, you do need to find ways to get bats into this lineup. Like, for as good as their pitching is, you still have to have somebody who can hit the ball. And like I just said a second ago, we don't really throw the cash around to buy people in free agency. So you have to acquire them. So at some point you have to leverage like, what, who who do we have that are pitchers that we can give to somebody else and they'll actually give us a bat? Like that is our best path to getting a better, better hitters on our team.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, how many? What do you think? How many hitters? How many good hitters are they away from being like a, a real contender? One or two? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know we t- uh, seven. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, we, I know. We talked about this earlier in the year, uh, and I was slightly concerned at the beginning of the year, even though it was the beginning of the year. Is always like sensationalism that comes with uh, early year struggles. Uh, but when they didn't go out and acquire a like a real designated hitter, I was worried, right? You got you got this rotating uh, rotating designated hitter spot, and all of them are terrible. And
1: and it's it's, it's no, but but Dylan Moore's back now.
3: <laughs> he is, and Mike Ford, yeah, Mike, Mike Ford's I, been tearing it up, man. I, 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 I called Mike that Ford. shit earlier
2: in one of our podcasts. I, I love Mike Ford. Uh, yeah, you, you can't
1: you can't go to the bank and get a loan on Mike Ford. That's <laughs> okay. a lunch pail guy right there. Yeah, yeah he's a lunch pail guy, but like nobody's co-signing on that loan. Be like, no, 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 we got we got a hot streak with our bats coming, Mike Ford's on our team. <laughs> like, as much as I love the guy, is that nobody's taking that investment. So,
3: I mean, as far as like a big bat's concerned, I, I still think that a veteran presence means a lot just for a clubhouse in general. I think it changes your mentality and keeps – a lot of the younger guys like the Mariners have yeah. I think that helps With the mentality that you bring to each game And so I was surprised That as far as a DH spot I mean, what's his name that's on the Pirates now that we had Last year, I'm blanking Santana. on the name Yeah, Santana. Santana, it's like, why wouldn't you have kept that guy Like, yeah. he was a part of that Whole thing, I think he definitely Brought value to the team Even if he wasn't tearing the cover off the ball But like, that's the type of guy That I would personally bring on just to have him in the clubhouse and let him DH here and there. We well,
2: had some clutch spots, too, like, you know, in a lot of games where you you know, hit a home run to win the game. Or just
3: have a quality at bat. Yeah. And I think that's something you're seeing with Julio now. Like, yeah. you're kind of having Julio as, like, your guy, like, as far as, like, the leader, of the squad, and everything else. I mean, you have a guy that he's no longer having a good approach. Yeah. Like, a big part of Julio's problems is that he's coming up to the plate, swinging at the first pitch and hitting a grounder over the short and getting himself in a double play when there's runners in scoring position. And it's like... That's where you have your veteran that can talk. He can talk more sense into you than the coach can, the manager can, any of your like, hitting coaches. That's when one of those dudes pulls you to the side like, hey, man, like, this is what you could do.
1: That's a good example, I feel like, in any sport, but baseball specifically, is that you're looking at the numbers of it and you're crunching it and you're like, well, we can't afford to sign Santana. I like, well, you should because that guy brings a presence yeah. that helps out, especially your superstar, but he probably helps everybody. Because yeah. the way that he interacts with the people, he gets the most out of them. Yep. That's something, like you just said, a coach can never do. Yeah. That's his peer. That's somebody who looked that Julio looked up to. Yeah. And so I, I think that's a really good point. Is that like, and that's why I want to see Nelson Cruz come back? I was too. just that, gonna say is that, that he yep. doesn't know Julio personally, but I would imagine he would slide into that role pretty nicely, and he obviously has familiarity with Seattle already. Is it like you that that kind of presence is invaluable like a guy he doesn't need to tear the cover off the ball what he can do by just being there to be a voice in the locker room will raise the level of the players around him yeah, yeah. absolutely sometimes when you crunch the numbers I feel like guys like Depoto lose sight of that they're like what he what he does in his plate appearances does not define him as a player yeah it's his contributions in the dugout. Like, baseball's a long sport. Yeah. Play 162 games. Like, a lot of the contributions you give is off the field. Yeah. It's being around these guys every day, so...
3: Yeah, the other they, day... You gotta do something about that. It's more of a mental game than anything. I mean, like you said, it's a marathon going into it. it, it to go along with the Nelly Cruz thing, it's like, it doesn't even make sense for the managers not to sign him, because as far as, like, the guys above all the management and everything, like, the ownership... You bring that dude back; it's a fan, like fan favorite. He's gonna bring people into the crowd. You're people, sell tickets, you're, gonna you're gonna sell tickets. You're gonna sell jerseys again. Like it's just a no brainer for the Mariners, and he's gonna bring that veteran presence. That's gonna, I think, would help the Mariners. I think they need that more than just a bat. I think they need some kind of leadership in that clubhouse.
2: Yeah, I mean, who do you who do you think the leader the leader of the Mariners is right now? Who's who's the leader? It's, of that It's lineup? probably
3: Julio. Julio, maybe some JP Crawford, yeah. but I mean, again, it's just guys that haven't really been there. Right. They haven't right. been there.
2: Yeah, and that's why you need
1: a guy like Julio. He needs that more than anybody. Somebody to lean on.
3: Yeah, and my fear with the Mariners, I don't think this is the direction that Jerry Depoto is going because I do have faith in Depoto. But I think as far as like ownership and stuff like at the end of the day, it's about making money. And the Mariners <laughs> in the past. They like getting that big name guy, and they like selling tickets and selling his jersey. And I, I fear that Julio is just becoming that guy again, and they're just making him the centerpiece of this master plan.
1: Standalone.
3: Yeah, and I mean that's what they've done year after year in many ways. I mean Robinson Cano was that guy. Yeah. Robbie Cano.
2: Without without a good uh, good leader in the lineup, you know, like a little bit of mentorship for the other guys. Uh, You know, you never know. The lights make it too bright for some of these young players, especially Julio. When you put so much on the poor guy's shoulders like this early on in his career, it's uh, not a recipe, you know, for success. He's not ready for it, and that's why exactly is it like? I think well, I think he's completely ready for it.
1: But I think per our whole conversation here is that that's why you need a guy like Carlos Santana or Nelson Cruz that is the older guy that's like, don't worry, kid, like. I've been through all of this. Don't worry. Like, who who plays for the Mariners right now that can look Julio in the eye and be like, Don't worry, kid, I've been through this same shit. Hold on. Like exactly (laughs) Literally nobody on this fucking team can look Julio in the eye and be like, Don't worry, I was a superstar once. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they cheer your name one day And they curse you the next Don't fucking worry about it Like you're golden dude Like don't worry about it Just go out there And keep doing what you're doing There's literally nobody On this fucking team That can do that And I think that is An uh, undersold aspect Of how you should Construct your team And that's why Yeah whether it, yeah, You could probably trade For Carlos Santana If you wanted But that That almost You seems don't like even a have to do face. It.
3: Just sign Nelly He's <laughs> just sitting right
1: there That was going to be My right, second point is, Yeah is it like Or you could go get Nelly, but even if you wanted Santana, because he has proven like you could trade him for you could probably get him for a bucket of baseballs right now and some quarters for laundry. So (laughs) like you could go get him, like. But, I yeah I Julio I think is going to be fine. They need to do that for him though. They need to go get a a veteran that can be his kind of I don't know poppy figure. Yeah. Yeah. How,
2: uh, How available do you think Miguel Cabrera is right now? That'd be a good one. They won't
1: get rid of him. That's the
2: only way yeah, they sell tickets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean, but that would
1: be, that would be you're right. One. Is that that would be a great person to go get in there? But the Tigers are horrible, and he, he doesn't even <laughs> he doesn't even play every day. I don't think at this point. Like he's pretty limited. He's just there to sell tickets and jerseys. I mean, like, Luke
3: and I have talked about this guy. I mentioned him a few times already on this show. But Paul Goldschmidt, you're gonna to have to trade some of your prospects, and you're not gonna get much. Like I said, you only have this season and next year. It's all you got him for. And he's 35. Older guy. So, like, you don't want to give too much away, but they're going to be asking for a lot. But it's like, that's also a type of dude that you can look into because that guy has, he's been through it. The guy's been a superstar. And he's still productive. I
1: was saying, if you get one more, his next year will be his last good year. Yeah. Theoretically. Maybe he defies time and has a few more good years. But, yeah, if... And that's what I'd say. If you could trade Kelnick and Wu for him, I'd take that in a heartbeat. You get him for a, a one and a half season. Yeah, one and a half seasons. Yeah. I'd take that guy in a heartbeat.
3: So I, I know Shane's been like waiting for this question. So if you're a part, if you're Jerry Depoto right now, and you're a part of that whole staff, yeah. Are you going to buy for for Otani right now?
2: I give. So. Full full pause on that, I guess. Uh, yes, given that he will stay here longer than you know his remaining contract, right? Um, that I, I think that has to be the the entirety of that conversation. If he comes here for you know a year, it's probably not worth it. But given that you or can or half a year. or ha- yeah half a year, then it, no, it's not worth it. But if you can get him here to stay, even if it's like a shorter, you know, a shorter long-term contract, I think you give him. I mean, you give him what basically whatever they want, uh, you, or you give him whatever he wants. And uh, you know, if it's a trade, obviously, um, you can make a case for giving up a star pitcher because you're get you're getting one right. You're getting a star pitcher. You're getting a top tier batter. Anything that you anything that you give Otani in a contract, you'll make up in merchandise, right? Name, image, likeness with him and Julio.
1: I heard somebody kind of clapping back on that whole thing the other day but we can get to oh, yeah more yeah
2: I think you make it back regardless right the Pacific Northwest especially in Seattle area has a huge we love stars out here right because we're the only te- we're the only team in the area everybody from all around the Pacific Northwest supports the stars from this area and we have a in the like Jap- you know the Japanese like support out here is massive like right? think of Ichiro right Ichiro was huge here had a wild fan base To watch the guy go out there and hit 2,000 singles and throw a laser beam from right field from time to time to home plate, Uh, and and the guy was massively successful and, you know, wildly loved. You bring a guy like Otani in here, who's like a -a once-in-a-generation player, I I don't know how you don't make your money back on a a player like that, plus you get a -a once-in-a-generation player to come in here, be your DH that we so sorely need, and an ace pitcher.
1: So I guess more specifically than, I think, to Tanner's question is do you think that they should try to trade mm-hmm. for him right now? And we'll, we'll say for argument's sake is that that gives you a higher percentage chance that he will sign with you long-term because mm-hmm. he's with the team. Or do you not trade for him and you just hope that you can sign him as a free agent? Because obviously no one's in disagreement that if sure. the Mariners can sign him, in the offseason, that's a good move. Yeah. like Nobody's arguing that. Yeah. So I, I think the more poignant question is, in your mind, Shane, yes. do you trade for him now? And we'll put that under the pre, pretense that if you trade for him now, you have a better opportunity to sign him long-term. Similar to Luis Castillo, yeah. who last year we traded for, and we were pretty quickly able to get him under a long-term contract. I don't know that that'll be true, but we'll, let's just say that that's true. I guess. In, would you trade for him? In
2: my opinion, I would say if the cards are there to trade for him, I would do it. I think you get him here. Uh, you get him here with the intention that he's not going to leave. You have a superstar for who knows how many years, right? You're drawing money. You're getting good play. You're doing all this, but he couldn't leave. But he, uh, yeah, I guess there's always that, but. He could leave in free agency, right? There's always that. There's always that chance. But I think similar. To, uh, you guys were talking about this, and I think Nigel may have had this opinion as well. If he's in the building, it's a lot easier to keep him in here than it is to pull him in from the outside. Was that your opinion? I said that. Okay. Nigel was very I, against I'm, I'm, it. I'm hundred percent with you on that. I was kind of playing
1: devil's advocate, but that was more the point that I was making. Is similar to Castillo. Yeah, is that if you have him in the building, it's easier to make negotiations happen than yeah. if you I, I if he's out of the building and then he goes to free agency and then everybody but
2: yeah I, th- I think that history has I shown have different thoughts now, yeah honestly. fair <laughs> enough I think I think his history has shown that uh, sign and trade for a lot of guys and getting them in the building has worked and keeping them there because they're already part of the system they're part of the ecosystem and uh, and you you can offer them you can start the offering from the inside of the building right before he even hits free agency so hopefully you can lock him down. Before he even has a chance to hit free agency. Otherwise, yeah, it's tampering.
1: Yeah. So, like, that—that that is the... And that's what I think I was trying to argue. I think it was in our last episode, right? It's tampering to try to come up with contract negotiations with somebody who's not on your team. Right. It's not tampering if they're already on your team. And you can start to try to figure out these negotiations early. Figure out what they want. And then even if he does go to free agency, like, well, we've already had a dialogue here for the last three months. So there's obviously value there. But I think Tanner had a...
3: I think the big... uh, All right, Stay with me on this. Yep. So, I don't think the Mariners should... I think in this trade deadline they should stay neutral. Mm -hmm. I think they do have talent around them that you don't necessarily just want to give up on. I wouldn't want to give up a Suarez just yet. I don't know how much he has left on his contract, so maybe it would be worth it. So I'd have to look at that. But I wouldn't want to give up him or a Hernandez or a Ty France because I still believe in those guys. I think they can bounce back. We've seen guys have off-seasons, come back, guns blazing. I think the big thing with Otani, if you want to have him, which I really want Otani, is that you got to have a team that shows that they can have long-term success because that's what he's looking for. That's why he's leaving the Angels. So you can provide him money and the fans and whatever else, but if you don't have a winning franchise – and you sell the house in order to get him, I think that's gonna be a red flag for a guy that you have already a good shot of getting going into the offseason. Because everyone wants to go ahead and project that the Dodgers and the Yankees, possibly the Mets, you know, those are the type of teams that are gonna get him. Because <coughs> they always say that. That's the big market teams. That's the big media teams. But Otani doesn't want to be a part of a big media outlet team. They don't he doesn't want to be necessarily like in the spotlight. I don't think that's that that's the dude's like style. I think he's an Ichiro type where he wants to kind of do his job, go home, maybe throw an interview in once a week and go like play video games. That's like his his hobby outside of work and like just chill out. I think you stay neutral and just play it hard in free agency. And I really think, in my deep down thoughts, who you're really competing with for Otani is going to be the Giants. I think the Yankees and Dodgers and those big market teams are out of the picture. I think the Mariners have a solid shot of signing him, so I wouldn't trade just for the fact that you're trying to convince him that we are a winning franchise and we're going to win for years to come. But if you trade a lot of that away, it might be less convincing to him to want to stick around. He might be thinking, oh, this is just another Angels situation because the Mariners have been an Angels-type team. Like, not much winning, but like just enough to kind of stay interesting, but then they fall out of it.
2: I would need to see, like, I I suppose I would need to see, like, proposed players being traded before I could make, like, a really good, like, uh, you know, analysis of whether or not it would do it. Because, no, I'm with you on that. There's no point in trading away a lot, you know, a lot of your good players and prospects if you're just going to end up being in the gutter again to get one guy, you know, and lose for however many more seasons because you gave away all your talent, right? So, I guess, uh, you know, it would mostly just depend on the terms of the contract, but um, what do you think, Luke?
1: Yeah, I tend to agree with what Tanner is. Is like maybe I'm just drinking the Kool Aid. I feel like I'll rope it back into to the All Star Game. I feel like the Mariners are, in my mind, in the driver's seat to sign Otani. It's just if they're gonna come up with the money, sure. Which is like the most uh, limp dick fucking approach <laughs> possible. Is it is just like Mariners be like, "Oh Tony, what is it somebody else telling you 650? We'll give you 750 just fuck because I actually think that they like said I'm just kind of drinking the Kool-Aid. I think he wants to be a Mariner. It was the Mariners or Angels to start when he came to America to play. And I feel like I I I still think that those are the two teams, honestly. The Giants I think are also in that picture. I think it's Giants, Angels, and Mariners. I don't think he's leaving the
2: West Coast.
1: That That's my... Short trip home? I just, in general, is it like, based off of everything I've heard, is it like, he's not going to be a big market guy? The The Angels are second fiddle in that town, so that's about... So they're really not a big market, honestly. Like, Dodgers is, is big market money. He doesn't want to be a part of that, Ooh. I don't think. So, I and I think he's just going to want to be West Coast, because that's where... He feels comfortable. I don't think he's going to go across the country. Could be wrong. But, like, I think the Mariners are in the driver's seat, so I wouldn't trade for him. I'd feel confident that we have the ability to sign him. It's really just up to, like I said before, you have to pay more for somebody. And I don't know that Otani's necessarily going to be some sort of, like, greedy, greedy guy that's like, oh, well, if I have to travel way more from Seattle then I need this much more. But you're the Mariners. You just need to go do it. Yeah. If they're like, it's like, I'm getting $650, $700 million contracts. I'm like, that's great. We'll just give you 750 Like, let's just sign it today. And like, that's where, if they want him, they should be. I'm going to throw a little bit of a hot take in, the, in here right now, though. Woo!
0: <laughs>
1: hot take alert. Do they want to do that? For it. Because what he, like, what we're talking about, like seven. I say 750, that's a 10-year contract. Do you want to sign a guy that... he? Because he's not young, he's like 28, 29. I think he'll be 29, I think, later this year. 10-year contract on a guy? Like, this guy will not be pitching five years? Definitely not, in my mind. Yeah, no. I, I would think that he's got two or three more years as a pitcher. So... We could, we could talk about some like trade things, though. That's why I wouldn't trade Bryce Miller. Who do you think is going to be a better pitcher in two years? I would say Bryce Miller is a better pitcher than him in two years. Now, he's a great hitter, and he'll probably still hit 30 to 40 bombs. And on a bad year, like we are saying before, he'll hit 250 with 30 bombs on his really bad year two or three years from now. I, like I said... I as a Mariners fan, you gotta go sign somebody and you gotta go do it, and he would instantly improve the team. So there's no argument there. But if I'm gonna play a little bit of devil's advocate there, is that ten years at seventy million a year? He's only gonna be a batter in my mind. He can prove me wrong, he's already proved a lot of people wrong. He'll only be a batter in about three years. He's not gonna be a better pitcher than Bryce Miller. In three or four years. He's not going to be a better pitcher than George Kirby. He might not. All- Hot take again. He might not already be a better pitcher than George Kirby. I'd, I'd call it a toss-up. He's exciting because he hits as well. But I wouldn't trade one of these guys. Emerson Hancock. They don't know enough about him. So maybe you entertain that idea. But if you're signing him to a 10-year contract, that's because he's a batter. And how good of a bat is he going to be when he's 38 years old? He's already proved a lot of people wrong, and he could prove me wrong very easily by being a great player into his late 30s. But I'd take him on a
2: five-year, but he won't take that. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're Otani, do you take anything less than like you know eight to 10 years? No, you take it. No, you take, a, no, you, no. take
1: a, you take a 10-year, 700 million dollar contract, right. which I would say, like outwardly, I'd say that's a bad contract for any team. But you have to do it because he's a generational talent. Yeah. But realistically, his window here is five years. He's 28, 29. By the time he hits 34, 35, he's probably not pitching unless he's Verlander. Because, like, there are guys like Justin Verlander. I mean, he's drinking from the Fountain of Youth with Kate Upton. So, that's a, that's a like that. thing. Maybe 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 Otani will find his Fountain of Youth. But... I can't expect that he's going to be an ace-quality pitcher past 34, 35 years old. And he still might be a good hitter, but is that worth $70 million a year? Yes. It might the, be by that time. It is.
3: It is worth it because in that five-year window that you're talking about, that you're going to get the most production out of him, that's when you have this core nucleus that you have right now. That's, that's why a, you can't
1: trade for him.
3: That's why when you can't signed. trade for him. But you can go sign him in the offseason and pay him whatever you want and you bring that World Series, or take the World Series out of it, just every year you're you're competing in the playoffs. And that's really what we're really looking for. I mean, a World Series would be a cherry on top, but if you got playoff baseball every year in Seattle, that would be worth assigning right there. Yeah,
1: I mean, personally, as a Mariners fan, a lot of what I'm saying I think is more, like, broadly speaking, as if I was, like, a baseball exec, how I would look at this. But very singular, singularly as a Mariners fan, uh, yeah, you should... I don't pay his... I don't pay his paycheck. Yeah. You should pay him $700 million, and if that means that the Mariners are hopefully going to win a World Series but definitely be World Series contenders for the next three or four years, uh, that's well worth the price. Yeah. I don't care if you get no return on value in years six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10. <laughs> like... If you got to the World Series, the Mariners, like I said, we're fucking stoked that they got to the playoffs. The playoffs, playoffs.
3: (laughs) But I mean, even though, like, those five years you get a playoff baseball, potentially a World Series, and let's say the other five years he kind of starts to tinkle downhill. The thing is, is that, like, Ichiro's proven this. I've been to spring training games where Ichiro's, like, limping out there with a walker, and people are still showing up there just to see that guy. Like, on the other side of it, they're still going to make their money off of the dude. That's what I'm saying, dude. You're still going to make the money. You're still going to have people flying out from Japan. You're going to get the Japanese crowd. You're going to get the Pacific Northwest. You're going to get people nationwide that wants to see a legend play. I just think that there's it, it's worth every penny. It,
1: I guess I guess my counter to that is like again, it's not my money that I'm spending, so that's not my issue. It's more so that any any baseball team, but definitely the Mariners. Is that if you invest this money in one asset they will not invest it in something else so if they're on the hook for 70 million dollars a year in year five that means they're when when the Mariners are then where they are right now in their one pitcher and one batter away from being a contender based off what the Mariners have done at least over the last 40 years they will not have the money to go get that player.
3: Yeah, but right now they have five years right now of baseball where they've been basically playing money ball where they have all these guys right now that I think are talented enough that you add someone like that. If you get five years, three years, even three years of quality baseball that you can get the town excited about, that's still worth it just because of just how dead it's been here.
1: We're in agreement, (laughs) to be clear. We're in agreement. I'm just saying that it's like there is risk-reward here. Because, it always is. Because if, if it doesn't pan out is that the the hang up here is that unless you could do a Robinson cano type trade where you get somebody to take his salary off you, the Mariners the Mariners aren't the Yankees. The Yankees would be like, Oh, we have a hundred million in like dead cat money. That's fine. We'll just keep spending. The Mariners have not ever shown that in their ownership. That if you do this And he kind of like, especially if his pitching fizzles out and he's just a batter, then it's like we either need to trade him so that somebody will absorb his contract or we're just going to have to stick it out and we will reap the benefits as ownership on making money because he sells tickets and you will get a 80 win baseball team, which is what they've done the majority of their Time yeah. in Major League Baseball. At least they That's, would have tried, and we're all in agreement there. <laughs> yeah. We're all in agreement. I'm, and, and it's I, not my money, so I am ready for no them to try. You're wrong. No. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm just, I'm just and then trying Robbie, to offer up the, the, the doomsday scenario, which sure. is that if, if he ha- if he goes out there in game one like Robbie Ray, and then needs Tommy John surgery, yeah, you've lost an ace pitcher. And your best bat in the lineup. And that's $70 million that they're not going to spend anywhere else on that team. I agree with everything that we've said. They have enough talent in their system, especially for arms, that if he gets hurt and he can't pitch, I'm not worried about the pitching. Yeah. I'm worried about the batting. Yeah. Which is why also it's like, you want to pay him that money? I don't, again, hot take. Because I'd be like, I'll pay you $70 million a year. You're done pitching. Not on this Mariners team. Yeah. We have enough pitchers. We only need you to hit We got the
3: bulldog.
2: <laughs> we got Marco. You think you're going to take Marco Gonzalez's
1: spot from this lineup? Kick rocks, okay. Bozo. You better hope he has a kid and he misses half the season because of it, okay? He birthed his child himself and he can't play. But, no, I, I, I'm i honest about that, though. I'm like, I'll give you $70 million a year to not pitch. Just go hit. For this Mariners team. If it was a different team, not the case. And
3: if he's truly into winning... And a longevity to it, maybe he's down for it.
1: Yeah, and maybe if a guy gets hurt, but like, t- like you keep him loose with his yeah. arm all the time. But it's like Bryce Miller gets hurt, George Kirby gets hurt. It's like we're gonna stretch you out. Well, hell, did and get you a start, but like Would. you're here, to- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 is it you're here to hit? Yeah, and, and we'll overpay like crazy for it.
3: it and this might be a little. Little silly of a take, but when I went to the uh, the finals game for the World Baseball Classic, yeah. when it was Japan versus USA, they didn't pitch Otani on that last game until he came in as a closer.
1: That guy was also fire, though. That was pitching. Before. He
3: was fire, but my point is, is that maybe he takes a bullpen spot when he like on some days. Maybe you throw him into that mix where you can still pitch and keep him happy, but you're also keeping him for a long term. Wow,
1: Otani closer. Oh,
3: he that was fired when he was closing. Wow, you heard it here first. <laughs> that
1: really that's cool. that's the that's a,
2: I love that. That would be really cool. The eternal optimist to me for the for the Mariners to be good and like actually go beyond you know the first couple of rounds of the playoffs just wants a guy like that here at, at like basically any cost. And that and it's probably a bad way to look at it, but when you've gone so long without anything exciting. Uh, it kind of just makes you, you know, you kind of, you kind of want whatever's going to bring that excitement to, you know, our team, right? And to me, it's, it's him. Even if, it, even if you only get it for three, you know, three to five years, and I, I think your estimation on his arm is probably correct, both you guys. Uh, but at least in the short term, it makes the makes the team much better, and uh, you know, in the long term, we're right back to where we started.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, it's on my money, so it's yeah. pretty easy for me to be <laughs> like. Here's how you should spend it. Yeah. But I think I'm cute. I know I'm sexy.
2: I've got the looks. The drives to cool. go. While I've got the moves. move on. I said she.
3: So let's kind of transition out of baseball and going to football as we're moving into mini camps and everything. But Netflix had their uh, their new uh, show called QB or quarterback, whatever it's called. Have you guys enjoyed it? Have you guys been watching it?
2: Yeah. Uh, so I've only gotten you know a few episodes into it so far. Uh, as as far as like looking a little more closely into people's or I guess athletes' personal lives, I find it to be kind of interesting as to how people live. You know, outside of the football field, right? Um, and the three people, you know, they have in their Kirk Cousins, uh, Marcus Mariota, and Patrick Mahomes. Each have. Uh, I don't. I guess they maybe pick them because of their specific situations on their teams. Like you have a, the blossom. You know, the not not only blossoming but blossom superstar who's now won two Super Bowls. You have a, a perhaps underappreciated. Uh, quarterback and Kirk Cousins on That's an favorable yeah. <laughs> on a good team, uh, on a good team, but he hasn't quite taken that step, you know, the step that he needs to take towards getting to a Super Bowl. Uh, and then you have a guy who's maybe had like kind of a tough run of tough run of things in the NFL. You know, switching teams here and there, can't quite get past the injury bug. Um, few thoughts, I guess. I find it really hard, kind of looking just in the few episodes that I've seen to really like Patrick Mahomes uh, like kind of outside the football field he's personality kind of grades on you know it's kind of grades on me a little bit uh his <laughs> wife and brother are a little bit insufferable at least from what we've seen on the field and every time they show up it seems like they're just doing something that
1: to be fair though his brother's
2: not featured too much yeah no, Why not? I know but he's uh, he's attached to him so I can't really help it yeah uh yeah, fair and uh kirk cousins uh lives kind of a more quiet modest life at least where he is right now it's just, kind of just seems like a regular guy kind of you know a dad or whatever desperately needs some chapstick so far into three <laughs> it's three, not my takeaway <laughs> <but> <laughs> three, <laughs> three episodes into this thing and this guy has the chappest lips i've ever seen i can't believe they'll let it go this far uh, but, Marcus Mar- Marcus Mariota, honestly, of the three, seems like the guy I would most likely, you know, have a drink with. Seems like a pretty decent guy who's just, uh, got injured a ton. And, uh, you know, so far, so far I really like it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> what do you think, Luke? <laughs> uh,
0: I'll be honest, if I watched
1: the entire season, uh... I have a lot of thoughts on Kirk Cousins.
2: <laughs> None of them are related to his
1: chap lips. <laughs> I mean,
2: How could yeah. you get past it?
1: You know, I, I thought the first thing that you were going to say, honestly, is that uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes, his
2: use of baby... People that people that call each other baby and babe, on, ironically. No, 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 no. Oh, you mean no, just no. like when he's yeah. like, he's like, "Good play, baby. Uh, Good play." You
1: know, he's like doing that. I was just like, "Yeah." All I can think is George Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "Baby, I invented that." Like he's trying to take. It, so using my like, babies yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. I thought I thought let's you were go! talking
2: about him and his wife. I, I, uh, no, no, that's yeah. fine.
1: Like whatever, what it what people do with their partner is fine. I don't care. No, it's that.
2: not, and I don't <laughs>
1: like it. Um, let's see. My first takeaway, and I think I talked to maybe it was Nigel, but you know he's dead to us at this point. <laughs> is that I, think, I, think I talked to him and said, "Like I like Patrick Mahomes, uh, obviously. Like or." I guess I respect his football ability. Like like, there's no denying that like he's definitely the best football player in the NFL currently. And he might be the greatest football player by the time his career is done. Like he's on that kind of trajectory. Mm -hmm. So I I like the guy for the hat part is that I think I really like this show uh, because it's really only confirmed what I already thought. Is it like, Patrick Mahomes is a fucking dweeb on Kirk Cousins levels. Yeah. Like, he's just the same, except Kirk Cousins is like fucking open about it. Midwest white guy Christian that is just like as lame as can be. And his football ability would tell you that too, to be honest. We can get into that more in a second. But the big difference is, is that Patrick Mahomes is ultra talented. Yeah. He's so good at football that it's like, he kind of gets the cool pass because, like, when he talks the worst shit you've ever seen, I guess you have to respect it because uh, he'll go out and throw five touchdowns on you. Yeah, and be like, he's like talking shit to Max Crosby. I'm him. I'm <laughs> him. I'm here. <laughs> I'm right here. I'm right here. You <laughs> with the wrong motherfucker. Yeah. I'm <laughs> him.
2: <laughs> but, I did this but, all day. Yeah, but
1: he is though. Yeah. So that's kind of the the hard the hard part is is like. Yeah, you kind of are him. Yeah. You are the best player, yeah. so you're really bad at talking. Sh- you're not Richard Sherman. Yeah, like yeah. you don't talk shit like Richard yeah. Sherman, but you
2: play as well or better, I guess, because you're a quarterback. But yeah, so to to be the guy, you got to be the guy, and he is the guy. As silly as it sounds when he's saying it on the field, he he is he is him. He is Hermione Granger. <laughs> Uh, it, in all aspects of football, there's no denying it. Himi you know, he's Jimmy Potter. He's, Potter. he's uh, he 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 is the guy. It's it. I mean, what in his short career, he has two Super Bowls and has been to three. I mean, it and it didn't even matter the change of uh, the change of supporting cast around him. Tyreek Hill left, and he was still just as good. Uh, yeah. you, you know, what I mean, and he's only gonna, I assume, get better. He hasn't even hit his you know physical prime yet. Um. There's not too much you can say about the guy that hasn't already been said. It is like the few fu- you know, future Hall of Famer Patrick Mahomes, greatest player of all time, gets a little annoying so shortly, but it's not like it isn't warranted.
1: Yeah, and I'll say, uh, I watched the last episode. You're not that far yeah. in it, but I watched the last episode. But we all watch football, so yeah. you don't need to watch the last episode to know what happens. But I feel like this Netflix. It's not like it was some shot in the dark getting Pat Mahomes to do it. Because he's obviously a front runner for Super Bowl champion, right? The Chiefs in general. But definitely, really, they got to be feeling really good about how they coordinated this show. I'm curious who they're going to pick for season two. Yeah. Because it's like when you get to the end of it, and I don't want to jump around too much, but it's like Mariota kind of checks out on his team. Kirk Cousins fizzles out in the first round of the playoffs because he's Kirk Cousins. That's what he does. But then the last two episodes are basically just Patty Mahomes winning the Super Bowl. Oh, spoiler. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But like they got lucky. Yeah. Cause they got him in there. Netflix and that the, the people doing it gotta feel really good about the fact though they neither. got that. So how do they I'm more curious from a like uh, show producing standpoint. How do they follow that up? Who do they pick this year that is going to give them those kind of levels? Because I think they did a good job of being like Mariota, second chance guy, on the fringe, Kirk Cousins, Steady Eddie, and then Patty Mahomes, superstar, and then he actually went to the Super Bowl, so they gave him a ton of content. That's a lot of extra games. Like You already play 17 yeah. in the season, but like getting those extra playoff games is what really makes the show like bring it home yeah. right at the end like you get to see it from it starts especially if you didn't follow the season it really starts out like pretty gritty gutty in the beginning but then you get to see that kind of like i don't know kind of cheesy but like the flower blossom at the end of right. it that it's like you do all of this like toiling in the early parts but then you get to see the super bowl champion at the end like that is like Script perfect. Yeah, I I have. So I don't know how they recreate
2: that. I've got three guys. I got three guys in my head, and and Tan, I'd be I'd be curious to see what you think too. Uh, you tell me if, tell me if I'm close to where you're at here. I can think of three guys right off the top of my head that would fit this bill that they could probably fall for this one and have a pretty decent shot. At the tippity top, you're Patrick Mahomes. You have Josh Allen, and you probably have Jalen Hurts. I think those two... Uh, like one or the other? Yeah, one or the other, right? Mm-hmm. As as guys that are, you know, stars in the league that have a good chance of getting the ball. I got a different one. Dak Prescott as your middling. Okay. Right? And then, this, this is my favorite, Geno Smith as your, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Geno Smith is the undercard guy.
3: I disagree with that because I think that Geno Smith would have been the perfect candidate for last year's season.
2: For Mariota? Oh, okay. Because it was three
3: three tiers. It was the superstar kind of in the middle of the pack, and then you had the kind of second chance guy. And I wonder if Netflix is like, man, this turned out great, but Geno Smith would have been the dude. That would have been awesome. That would have been the guy to have because comeback player of the year, like end up having a pretty good season. But I disagree with you. I think it's going to be – Joe Burrow. That's a good one. That's yeah, Joe that's Burrow. That's what I was
1: gonna say. That's a
2: good one for your top two.
1: Middle of
3: the pack. I like Dak Prescott. That's actually a really good one. He's
2: always right there at the playoffs, but they never go beyond. So. Yeah. And then
3: the attention-seeking whore that he is, Russell Wilson at the I bottom. I
2: Love that. I don't think Russell can do it for all of
1: the reasons that happened last year. That guy. That guy needs to move out of the spotlight.
3: But he he doesn't do it. Yeah. He's gonna want the spotlight regardless. You know what? I
2: yeah, I hear that. I, I, I don't want to go down on Russell Wilson tangent <laughs>
3: like we have, but like the guy wants it. It's just if Sean Payton can contain it.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: I think. And I'm not. I'm I'm ripping this from somebody else, Dan Patrick, who I mentioned before. They should do it on Zach Wilson as their low tier. Ugh. Actually, behind th- Aaron Rodgers, because then it's a two for one.
2: That- Okay, I kinda see that. I you know what I'm I'm I uh, that that's what I wanna see. I'm with you on this one, Tan. I, I revoke my Geno Smith pick and I lo- I would love to see Russell Wilson in that bottom tier. I didn't even think of that. That's a great one. I'd put yes. Russell in my mid tier. You, you could also work there, yeah, I could see that.
3: But I mean Russell Wilson's coming like he's gonna be like a comeback player at this point. Like Dak Prescott is the prime candidate for that middle ground dude.
2: Yeah, I'd
1: also throw Justin Herbert, I think is the guy yeah. that I would put Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a there's a lot of good names. I yeah. think Justin Herbert, though, like he's right on that cuss that I think a lot of people are ready. Like him and Trevor Lawrence, I think one of those two guys needs to be in the mix, and they should be those mid tier guys because definitely more so than Kirk Cousins, they're ten percent better season than they've had mm-hmm. from. Elevating themselves because, like Joe Burrow, we're all putting in that top tier category. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, they have they improve by ten percent next year. They're in the top tier. I I think so. Like those are guys that I'd want to see.
2: Yeah, I, I think it would it would do the show some good. Now, granted, I haven't seen the entire thing yet, so it may go down you know a different path that maybe. I... Not you watch the season, then. I think you know. Yeah, i, I, <laughs> I think more. You know the path. I, I more so mean the personalities themselves. I I think when you get a guy like Joe Burrow in there, he's such like a he can be such a big personality. and makes for good content, right? Yeah. I think Lamar Jackson also can fit into that fold there because he's also a guy with a big personality. Uh, I feel like as boring as we think he is at times. Maybe you see something different of Russell Wilson when he when they're doing something year long. But he's got his act down so much that maybe he's, he's a robot. I know, but uh, you never know. We're all haters. But. Yeah, <laughs> you'd hope you'd see like a little bit more out of him than you normally would. But I feel like the only the only thing with Russell Wilson and uh is that he's so we we all know him so well because he was in the spotlight for so long here in Seattle, right? That he would be a boring pick. Because he's just gonna say, be you know, say the same shit Let's he's say been saying for ten years. Yeah, that's why
1: I like Justin Herbert, and I think I like him more based off of the like quick commentary I've gotten from uh, a couple of people in this room. Mm. Is that they liked Marcus Mariota the most?
2: Yeah. Yes. Yes. It is, is it
1: like, and I like Mariota. Like, I'm kind of a hater because he's an Oregon duck. Yeah. But even when he was there, that is like. I like him like he would like him because he's just a normal ass dude, like going through things. Justin Herbert, also an Oregon Duck, so there's kind of a tie there. Normal guy. Like, so I would like to see it, but he's a superstar talent. And Mariota, honestly, he was the second overall pick. Like, so there's parallels in the sense that, like, their talent has never been in question. They are a little bit more, like, middle of the road. Personality wise kind of understated that's why i would like to see justin herbert yeah because he's super talented but i kind of want to see that behind the scenes of like what does a guy look like when he's by all accounts kind of a quiet leader like i think one of the biggest indictments on justin herbert is that he's much more of a like quiet kind of like all right kind of like kirk cousins like that's right, guys. Let's go out there and try our best, you know. But like, <laughs> but he is really talented. Yeah. Yeah. And I think guys respond to that really well. So, I I would be interested to see what that looks like because the talent is there, the work behind it, and the way that he uh responds. And Trevor Lawrence falls in that same camp. He's kind of a fucking goober, yeah. To be honest, yeah. But the guy is ultra talented. Yeah. So I kind of want to see that dynamic behind. Him. He's like. I know what Russell Wilson is. Yeah. So we obviously have a privileged position Like we know what Russell Wilson is. I know he's talented. I know what his leader style is. So I don't want to see that. I want to see what a guy like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Herbert does because they have this crazy amount of talent, but they also have an understated leadership quality to them. And I thought that was what was interesting about Mariota. Kind of fizzles out in the end. Mm -hmm. But these guys are way more talented. So I'm curious how far that carries
2: them. You know, you know, it could be a decent pick, mostly because the uh the circus kind of around him in in how he plays and like the team itself has probably made him more uh docile than maybe he would normally be, is Justin Fields. Yeah. Uh, because he's just gotten shit on since he got there and he goes into a bad situation as like a high pick and Basically, has done nothing, and it, it, is it his fault? Probably not. Well, he has, but, I wouldn't say he's done nothing. He runs the ball really yeah, well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really good. I mean, it, right now that is but a really good. His career's in the balance, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and running is right now, especially, is a really good quality for a quarterback. But he, you know, no one's given him any slack because he's a good runner. Uh, because we see time and time again, like. Their team is so bad that it probably makes him look far worse than he is. And I kind of... He would be an interesting story as somebody who goes into a bad situation and gets shit on, like, every single week. Uh, so it be, could be kind of interesting to hear from a guy like that and, like, his perspective as being the guy who every week, you know, get this guy off the field, similar to the show in the, in the early on. Like, you always have that person looming in the background waiting to take your job. And, uh, you know, it could be could be an interesting one to, to go on Justin Fields maybe as, like, that lower that lower tier
1: I'm realizing while while we're talking is that you know who Kirk Cousins replacement is on this show it's uh Derek Carr with the Saints
2: yeah 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 Derek Carr yeah. Has yeah. Kirk Cousins 2.0
1: <laughs> he's on a new team but like he's basically like steady Eddie as they come yeah like he if he has if he's a little bit better than he is then they have a good season and they could go 13 and 4 especially if Alvin Kamara can even play. I yeah. think he's got some. And then
2: around the first, second round. You
1: know? <laughs> yeah, but exactly. As soon as they face a good team. So I don't want to see him, though. Yeah, I've like, already seen him on Hard Knock, so I don't want to see him in that. But yeah. I feel like that's the kind of guy that they'll cast for that mid tier is Derek Carr for the
2: Saints. But. I want, yeah. to, I want to see him put his eyeliner on every morning and <laughs> his, his Green Day uh, see if it's real yeah. <laughs> see if it's real his, uh, his Billy is Billy Joel uh, Billy Joe Billy Joel Armstrong cosplay during uh, Halloween time and yeah that could be a funny one so
1: I don't I, it sounds like you haven't gotten this far Shane but they have this part uh, which is why this show is good where because you get so much more uh content from it is that I think it's in that playoff game with the Vikings versus the Giants, right? Where the yep. Vikings lose where they're getting ready to go up to the line and I think it's gonna be a QB sneak with Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. And it kinda just triggered me watching it and but again, this is why the show is good, is that he kinda goes up and I think they're getting ready to do it and he's like he's kinda talking to his team, he's like we going we going on one? Or are we going on like quick two? We going on one? Or are we going quick two? He's like asking them what they're going to do instead of telling them. Instead of telling them, yeah. and then they go up, they go up to the line, and then he's like, like not two, <laughs> and they go up or whatever, like what whatever their cadence is, and then he's kind of like ha ha, and the guy the the left tackle, granted, he's the only one who fucked up. So at the end of the day it's still the left tackle's fault. But he jumps early mm-hmm. and they get this and they like do the sneak and he gets the first down and then they're like false start. In my mind is it, like that is just what Kirk Cousins is as a quarterback. It's like you're asking somebody else what to do instead of telling them and then you get up to the line and somebody fucked up because you're not just like this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. Like you don't have that real command. In the biggest play of the game, you're asking people what they want to do instead of telling them, like, you're the fucking quarterback. I guess the whole point of the show is that, like, you tell everybody what to do. Guy jumps off sides. They settle for a field goal. They tie because they're down three. I think they're going for it on, like, fourth and inches. They settle for the field goal. They kick the field goal. Saquon Barkley, who can't get paid takes it the rest of the way and they he scores a touchdown and they, and they win the game shout to Justin Tucker <laughs> and so and so that and that happens and then they get bowed out. in my mind that's what that's what I take away a lot from that show is that I'm kind of a Kirk cousins hater yeah is because there are times like that where it's just kind of like do you feel like you're the best player on your team? you're not like Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook are better. But you're the quarterback. Your job is to, like, have that kind of command. Yeah. Right? So if I could rope that into the Seahawks, is that Geno, in my mind, is very much Kirk Cousins. I think he has a lot more presence. Like, people respect him a lot more. Right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, there is still part of me that worries about the Seahawks team in that regard, that it's like we could only go as far as Gino will take us. Yeah. And at the end of the day, and you saw it a little bit in his one season for his chance to go do these things, that it's like kind of when the lights were brightest is when he made dumb plays where he's kind of like, I, I feel like you're, you're thinking that you're going to defer to somebody else. is like, no, you need to go do it. Now, I know, like I just said, I think the people in the locker room respect Gino a lot more than they do Kirk, and that's me just coming up with my own ideas and inferences about what that situation is. I'm not there, obviously. But I think there's a lot of parallels that worry me about the Seahawks with Geno as their quarterback because I think, at his best, Geno is Kirk Cousins. And so I see plays like that, and it worries me.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So all we have to really go on is from looking from the outside in, right, what we see on Twitter and interviews and stuff like that. Uh, but what, and what we see with Geno, and I'm in agreement with you there on that. As far as like they'll go as far as Gino will take them, he's he's essentially Kirk Cousins. I think I think it's a good comparison. Uh, I think the the difference in leadership uh is there's definitely a, a gap there because when you see uh you guys have probably seen this as well, you see the other Seahawks players, you know wide receivers, all these guys talk about Geno. It's always high praise, right? This is their guy. Like, they have the utmost belief in him. He's going to take us there. He can do it. All this kind of stuff, right? And I, 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 would, I would almost bet that if you, uh, you know, ask some of his receivers there, uh, who's the top five quarterbacks in the NFL, something like that, they'd probably put him on there, even if it's just five, right? You go to Justin Jefferson now, doesn't even put his own quarterback in the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. That should tell you a lot about what he thinks yes. about his own quarterback and his leadership.
1: And it would be wrong for any Seahawks receiver to put Geno in the top five. Yeah. But I completely agree is that I think he inspires that type of confidence that they would go to bat for him like that. Yeah, I think so too. Even even in air.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even, even if you put him at five, you put him on there because that's your guy. And you stand behind your guy, especially when, you know, you feel that kind of way about him. We, and we've seen, you know, time and time again throughout last year uh even even when he made tough plays or they're, they're all standing right you know standing behind him. No one's pointing the finger at Gino except himself. And I you know, it's a good leader. Uh and you're not really seeing that from the other side when you're your stud wide receiver, you know, one of the best players in the NFL, the guy who's, you know, getting fed target after target, you know, touchdowns won't even put you in his, you know, top five list of quarterbacks, even if it's at five. Yeah, uh, yeah he's, on,
1: he's on pace to break every record for people within his time. He's just like, yeah, no, the guy that throws me the ball. Fuck Kirk Cousins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, no, nah, he's not that good. I make him good. It's yeah. basically, the, I think, the subtext yeah. there. But to rope this more into the Seahawks is that I do think, though, is that despite the fact that he has, I think, a larger leadership presence, how far can your talent take you, though? Mm-hmm. And that's what I really got from the quarterbacks uh, Netflix series. Is that I'm kind of a Christian Kirk uh, or Kirk Cousins hater. <laughs> I'm also a Christian Kirk hater, to be honest. Yeah. That's kind of a Freudian slip. That guy also sucks. That's why. That's why they brought in Calvin Ridley this year. The guy's been fucking gambling and got suspended from the NFL. But uh, Kirk Cousins is that he, he's also Christian Kirk I guess and when you watch the end of it I uh, could go on a whole other tangent about how he uh, praises God at the end of it this uh, well, podcast is going to go wild during fantasy season <laughs> <laughs> but how far how far could a guy with middling talent take the team I'm asking you that question. Oh,
2: I'm sorry. I thought that I thought that sounded like a period to me, and I was like, fuck, that's nice. Yeah, it was good. It was almost like the end of like a song. Like, how far can he take you?
3: Well, Luke, we will end it on that note, and we'll leave that question for everyone else to really ponder. We're signing off. Shane, thank you so much for filling in for Nigel. We'd love to have you back. Great job. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Doing my best. We're really excited to have him on board, but that's it. See you. <laughs>